If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tourism fights for survival. We need to see the return of international business and leisure travelers. Major stakeholders push the government to drop the PCR test requirement. Cutthroat competition in policing. And it's a more of a long-term strategy that we think is going to really put boots on the ground at the earliest opportunity. Victoria Police offer a cash incentive to lure experienced officers. And shocking video of dog owners allegedly turning their pets loose on other animals. Dude, you can't just let them run loose like that. Keep following me, we're going to have a problem. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. One of BC's biggest industries is pushing back against the rule requiring a PCR test for all cross-border travelers. Tourism operators say that requirement is holding back their attempt to rebuild the multi-billion dollar industry that has been battered by the pandemic. Kamal Karamali joins us live now. And Kamal, how significant of a barrier is that PCR test for the tourism sector? Yeah, it's being called quite significant, Sophie. The Canyon Lights display uh, behind me here in full swing at the Capilano Suspension Bridge Park. And that usually brings in droves of Americans. Not this year, though, and much of that is being blamed on the PCR test. While the local bars and restaurants seen around Metro Vancouver looks to be returning back to normal, the hotspots that heavily depend on international visitors are still struggling. Take the Capilano Suspension Bridge, for example. We are missing uh, a lot of Americans this time of year. And much of it has to do with these pricey PCR tests with results needed within 72 hours for fully vaccinated foreign visitors to enter Canada. The PCR test definitely is expensive. It adds to the complications of a visit to Canada. The pandemic has jolted Vancouver's tourism industry. In 2019, Vancouver saw 11 million overnight visitors, contributing to $14 billion in total revenues to the Metro Vancouver economy. In 2020, revenues fell a whopping 70%. Today, we are calling on the federal government... That has now prompted Vancouver tourism leaders to make a public plea to the federal government. Scrap the PCR tests so international travelers can afford to visit Canada. The issue that we have with the PCR test, again, is costly and it's cumbersome and it is confusing because there are many tests out there. PCR tests are more effective than the antigen tests at detecting COVID-19, but are also pricier. The Fairmont-Vancouver Airport announcing Wednesday it's offering 20-minute PCR tests, but with a hefty price tag. A PCR test with results ready for the following day by 11 p.m. costs $190. A PCR test with results in three hours will cost $400. And a 20-minute PCR test will put you back nearly $600. Compare that to an antigen test that can cost as little as 20 bucks and get you results in 15 minutes. The reality is there's no recovery until we can open the borders successfully and and, um, free of 
friction. Some European countries like the UK have altogether scrapped the requirement of a COVID-19 test before entry. But the Canadian government says it'll continue to take a cautious approach and is examining its options. So we will be examining those policies. For many businesses, though, time is of the essence. The longer the wait, the more tourism dollars are lost. And the federal government also adds that as more evidence becomes available, it will make cautious adjustments to these health measures. But, uh, Sophie, without a clear timeline, many of these businesses still left in the dark on when they can go back to business as usual. All right. Thanks for that. Kamal Karamali in North Vancouver for us. Now, a heads up if you are thinking about traveling to Hawaii. As of November 8th, the state changed its COVID-19 rules to be in line with the U.S. mainland. So now, non-U.S. citizens traveling directly to Hawaii no longer need specifically a PCR test. You do need a negative COVID-19 test, but an antigen test will be accepted. On arrival, you will need to present both your vaccination record and negative test result taken within three days of boarding. Uh, flight to the state, uh, pardon me, uh, before boarding a flight to the state. Travel expert Claire Newell also says you will no longer have to fill in the Safe Travels Hawaii website. She'll have more on travel to Hawaii next Thursday on Global News at noon. Well, let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. There are 555 new cases and just over 4,300 active cases. 404 people are in hospital 117 of them in the ICU, and 11 more people have died from complications of the virus, including a person in their 40s. Troubling to say the least. Keith Baldry joins us now with some fresh weekly data that shows an interesting trend, Keith. Where our numbers are up and down, uh, what have you found? Yeah, so the Center for Disease Control every midweek puts out a couple of reports that examines where we're going on a weekly basis. Daily numbers really don't tell the story. Seven days or six-day averages do. So uh, for the period ending November 2nd, compared to what uh, a similar situation over six days, two weeks previously, you see what's happening. Our case numbers continue to decline on a weekly basis. That's been going on for some time. Hospitalizations are going up and down, but they seem to be on the decline slightly. But the number of people dying from COVID-19 is on the rise in this province, not by a huge amount, but by certainly a noticeable number of more than 14 on a weekly basis compared to just two weeks earlier. 11 people died today, as you mentioned, including one in their 40s. Most people passing away are over the age of 70, but since September 4th, there's been 12 people in their 30s who've passed away from COVID-19. And again, one of the other health indicators, I haven't got it on this graphic, is ICUs. And that remains fairly stable numbers. About 70 people a week are admitted to the ICU. I'll give you an update on the current situation of the people in ICU right now. One person is a teenager Two people are in their 20s, uh, 15 people are in their 30s, and 14 people are in their 40s. And finally, one number that doesn't ever seem to change is the percentage of unvaccinated people in the ICU, 85%. That's a number that's held steady for some time. The message again, vaccines work. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, approximately 3,000 healthcare workers remain unvaccinated in BC, but there's still no firm answer on when an expanded vaccine mandate will be put in place. Health professionals like dentists, physiotherapists, and naturopaths are among those who will be required to have their shot. But as Richard Zussman reports, the timing and impact are still unknown. Putting all healthcare workers on notice. We need people to be vaccinated. It's a condition of the profession. This order currently in place for healthcare workers working in acute care to be immunized. 
Near the bottom, it reads, from Dr. Bonnie Henry, Take notice. All health professionals will be required to be vaccinated by a date determined by me. We've proceeded because this is the right thing to do. To ensure that everyone is vaccinated is the right thing to do. It's not easy, but it's necessary. There's no time yet on when that mandate is coming, but it's expected to be phased in. It's expected to include 6,000 family physicians, 4,200 pharmacists, 2,800 dentists, and 1,400 chiropractors. Although we do not have a time frame right now as to how or, or sorry when that will apply to community practices, um, it is in bold red ink in her order. So I think that's as clear as it can get. The acute care vaccination rate has jumped to 98% from around 90% when the mandate was announced. The extended mandate also expected to include physiotherapists, pediatricians, naturopaths, and psychologists, and any other health professional bound by a professional college. Many colleges have already started encouraging vaccination without the mandate. It's very clear that the college, although maybe they don't say it directly, thinks that it's important for us to become vaccinated. None of the associations representing these workers have firm numbers on how many people are vaccinated. A higher number of workers are expected to go on leave in northern and interior health, where overall vaccination rates are lower. But COVID itself poses the largest risk to the system. There is an even higher risk from people getting COVID and bringing it into healthcare facilities. There have been documented outbreaks triggered by unvaccinated healthcare workers that have killed people. Staff working in offices also expected to be included, but that has not yet been formally announced. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Victoria Police make an offer they hope other officers can't refuse. It's a nice chunk of cash to join the force, but there's a catch. That's next on the News Hour. The amazing story of BC's Ruben Sinclair, the oldest living World War II veteran, and you'll see why that's not the only remarkable thing about him coming up on the News Hour. And a breakthrough in breast cancer detection, the simple blood test that can find it much faster later. Right now, though, we've heard about BC restaurants offering bonuses to attract staff, and now the Victoria Police Department is offering $20,000 incentives to attract police officers. Jordan Armstrong now on what might be behind an officer shortage that's not unique to the capital city. It's not all fun and games for Victoria police. Far from it. The capital city's crime severity index is the highest in the province. Plus, the cost of living ain't cheap. So now Vic PD is offering a one-time hiring bonus to recruit experienced cops. A $20,000 incentive for experienced police officers to come join the Victoria Police Department. Uh, this offer is limited time offer for the next 12 police officers that we would be hiring. Vancouver Island is a place that my wife and I wanted to raise our family. Chief so Delmatic says they're going for experience because they need boots on the ground now and new recruits can take 10 to 12 months to train. But why then is Vic PD down so many frontline officers in the first place? 35, according to Manic. That is primarily due to officers being injured and, and being off on occupational stress injuries and whatnot. A number of others have retired early, some discouraged by the lack of respect they say they're getting from the defund the police movement. The police officer doesn't necessarily want to be the mental health worker um, 
or the addictions counselor, but we're being forced to because there's no other uh, support services available in those off times. And it's that's what's creating the frustration for our members. While there's been no public talk of cash incentives from other police forces, staffing issues are not unique to Victoria. Late last month, Vancouver Police Chief Adam Palmer told CKNW's Jazz Johal that 20 VPD officers had already departed for the upstart Surrey Police Service, and he believed dozens more would follow. Making the move here was a no-brainer for us because... Back in Victoria, Chief Manick says the signing bonus announced Tuesday and a new recruitment video filled with testimonials and island scenery appear to be working. It's literally day one, and uh, we've already seen three applications come in, and, and more I know are on the way. Move here? Yeah. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for some help from the public to solve a hit and run from last month. Today they released pictures of a gray SUV that turned in front of a motorcyclist on October 19th. It happened around 11 p.m. The SUV turned from Hastings Street onto Commercial Drive. The driver didn't stop. Police say there will likely be extensive damage on the passenger side of the vehicle. Anyone with dash cam footage from the area is asked to call VPD. The 29-year-old motorcycle rider has been released from hospital and is now recovering at home. Just ahead, secret heroes. What we do is a suicide squad. Force 136 assigned to an impossible mission during the Second World War, even as they faced rampant racism back at home. And allegations dogs were let loose on a community of rabbits with devastating results. Still a bit of a slow go here tonight on Highway 1 eastbound through the Burnaby Lake stretch. This is the Kensington Merge and it is congested as usual. It goes right past Gillardy and into Coquitlam. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. Supply issues aren't just affecting the retail industry. B.C.'s real estate market is also struggling with low inventory. And as John Hua reports, that is helping to drive prices even higher. Behold, an exceptionally rare sighting in the B.C. real estate market. The elusive and highly sought after open house. I have never seen inventories uh, this low in my 15 plus years in the business. Spotting one out in the wild, whipping home buyers into a frenzy, resulting in multiple bids and offers well over asking. When we listed the home at the price point we were at, we had over 90 viewings in the first seven days. Now, if you're lucky enough to find a home for sale with the current demand out there, there's a good chance it'll be sold in no time. So the question is, why in October of this year did we still see a 13.7% decrease in residential sales compared to the same month last year? The reason why listings like this seem to be evaporating into thin air, marking a 40% decrease in supply year over year. We were expecting this fall we would start to see listings really return to the market. That just hasn't really happened in the way we thought it would. The problem homeowners might be able to sell at a premium. 
but they still need some place to live. People are deciding to stay in their home sometimes longer, renovate the home instead uh, of buying and upgrading because of the challenging of getting into the marketplace. Another reason, after a year of pandemic shutdowns, tis the season to finally spend time with family and friends. And it's hard to host when you're moving. People are just going to enjoy being where they are and then decide on whether they're going to listen the new year. For those hoping an expected increase in mortgage rates might have a dampening effect on demand. That'll help a little bit, but we're two, three years away from a healthy market. Real estate experts say until more supply is created, some potential sellers might remain on the sidelines, which means buyers will need to stay on the lookout for those elusive listings while they last. John Hua, Global News. Vernon City Council is taking a stand against the provincial government in an effort to, or in its efforts to decriminalize the possession of small amounts of drugs. Following a closed-door meeting, council voted five to one on a motion authorizing the mayor to write to the BC government to urge it not to remove criminal penalties for small quantity drug possession. On November 1st, the provincial government applied for a Health Canada exemption to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, with the province arguing it is a necessary step to help combat the deadly toxic drug crisis. We really feel very strongly that, uh, that what is needed is a safe drug supply. That this idea of decriminalization is really uh, not the first thing that should be addressed. And uh, the poisonous drug supply is, and that's what's having the biggest impact on individuals. According to the latest numbers from the BC Coroner Service, there have been 22 fatal drug overdoses in Vernon so far this year. Police are investigating some disturbing reports that people are using their dogs to intentionally kill rabbits that have populated a number of Vancouver area parks. Aramad Agahi spoke with a man who recorded his confrontation with a couple that he felt was up to no good. And first, a warning. Even though we've blurred some of the images, some parts of this story are disturbing. Described as the green heart of Richmond's city centre, the tranquility of Minaru Park provides exposure to many critters, including a growing population of feral rabbits. This brightens my day. Looking at them, that's incredibly cute, you know. So yeah, makes me very happy to see them. It's believed many of these rabbits are descendants of unwanted pets. Cute, quiet, but unfortunately terrible at keeping themselves safe from harm. They have a different brain structure than wild rabbits. Uh, they don't have the same fear responses. The one guy was in the bushes there with his flashlight saying, here's another one over here. So when late last month, this resident says he saw what he strongly believes was abuse of the helpless animals, he decided to record. Are they local to Canada here? Doesn't Are, matter. Oh, yeah, it does actually. They're invasive yeah, species. This, no different this, rats. I saw them going after the rabbits, instructing their dogs to kill the rabbits. And we see the dead rabbit that very same night, right where they came from. The couple came from this direction over here, and that's where I found the rabbit right after the confrontation. That discovery is so gruesome, we've decided to save the squeamish. Our investigator conducted a thorough investigation and could not find any evidence linking the dogs or the two individuals to the dead rabbits. People it's let their cool. dogs just maul them to pieces in this park here too. It's called the circle of life. 
The video that at times even led to intense confrontation. Keep following me, we're gonna have a problem. Back All the right. off Fuck. here, I'll bash your face. Just relax, dude. Never captured what was accused, but its impact has stayed with the community. It breaks my heart, I have kids and we don't wanna see dead bunnies. Now forced to be on the lookout. Amadagahi, Global News. Coming up, brothers in arms. The men that fought in that war uh, ensured that I could stand here today. The remarkable history of six soldiers fighting alongside Canadians and playing a crucial role in World War II victory. Plus, what could be a game changer in breast cancer diagnosis. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady both ways on Highway 99 from the Massey Tunnel. This is northbound traffic backed up solid from Highway 17A. Uh, southbound traffic is actually slow through Richmond on the approach. It's time for the holiday countdown at Chevrolet. Right now get 0.99% financing for up to 60 on the 2022 Trailblazer. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. Tristewison in the Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. Well, tomorrow we will honor the men and women who have served this country and made the ultimate sacrifice. Some of them did it even when Canada didn't fully accept them. Force 136 was a squadron of 150 Chinese Canadians who fought for their country before they could technically gain citizenship. Kylie Stanton spoke with Gordy Kwan, one of the last living members of Force 136. They're all from Victoria Boy. Standing side by side like they did nearly 80 years ago. Just a few of the Chinese Canadians who signed up to serve the country. I sure it's a good idea, you know. 18 would you know. Any better, right? Gordon Kwan didn't think twice, but many others hoped their service would force Canada to change its policies on citizenship and voting rights that at the time didn't apply to anyone of Chinese descent. That was part of the selling point. But there was no guarantee. No guarantee at all. Quan was just one of 150 recruited for a dangerous and secret mission in Southeast Asia. They became known as members of Force 136. Their job, get dropped behind Japanese lines, survive in the jungle in small teams with no outside support, to spy on and sabotage the enemy. What we do is a suicide squad. Through months of grueling training, Quan would learn commando warfare techniques, eventually becoming a demolition expert. Gung-ho, you know, ready to take action, you know. But Quan never got that chance. The war ended just days before his mission was set to begin. If it wasn't for that, they dropped that A-bomb, I don't think we'll be here today. While the war was won, there was another victory in the works back home. They used that situation to ask for more rights, to be able to come back and be recognized as Canadian in 1947. Their efforts paved the way for generations of Chinese Canadians. The simple things you have today were defended by these soldiers that went to war. Upon his return, Quan married, had children, and enjoyed a long, successful career as a mechanic. But every year in November, he remembers that 18-year-old who was willing to give his life for this country. And nearly eight decades later, he says he wouldn't change a thing. Remember the day is the day that I 
recognize how lucky we are living in Canada. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, the Second Battle of Ypres in the spring of 1915 was one of the key battles in the early stages of World War I. And the actions of Canada's soldiers helped establish the reputation of our fighting force. But as Nitu Garcha reports, a new exhibit is shedding light on the vital and previously overlooked role a group of Punjabi soldiers played in holding the line. After four days without respite, it was these Indian soldiers who were called in by the Canadians as reinforcements in the Second Battle of Ypres on April 26, 1915, helping to stop the advance of German forces. Without the participation of the Punjabi soldiers, Ypres would have been lost. The Canadian forces wouldn't have actually been able to hold the line uh, at Ypres. Through this exhibit at the Museum of Surrey, historian Stephen Perwall is sharing these often forgotten stories from a war about 1.3 million Indian soldiers served in, more than Canadians, Australians and New Zealanders combined. We literally have Punjabi, the kin of the Punjabi that are on the Komagata Maru fighting to defend the Canadian line in Flanders. Acts of selfless service, a pillar of the faith these sick VPD officers say motivates them. I think our faith uh, plays a major role in that and um, it's a part of our fabric is to serve the community. The men that fought in that war uh, ensured that I could stand here today with a turban and a beard in a, in a Vancouver Police Department uniform. Both officers are also part of a heritage film written and directed by Purawal, but like his efforts to have the untold stories of six soldiers incorporated into social studies curriculums in BC and across Canada, he's run into barriers. We're still looking for more funding. What are the priorities? It is a common experience too of being colonials. He's also turned this exhibit into a book which he's giving to every Canadian MP. I did not understand before coming here that India had the second largest standing army at the time of World War I to Britain. Especially on the 100 year anniversary of the poppy, coinciding with the 50th anniversary of Canada's first multiculturalism policy, Purawal says it's time to correct the narrative. Which I feel has a Eurocentric uh, lens um, to the detriment of many, many uh, minority communities. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Surrey. In Health Matters tonight, the province is showing off a new cancer centre in Vancouver. The renovated and expanded Centre for Cancer Prevention and Support features a research space as well as accommodation for up to 62 out-of-town patients and their caregivers. It's being described as a leading national hub of research and innovation. And as the health minister pointed out, we all know someone who has been impacted by cancer. And for him, that includes his own family. Uh, my mom is living with cancer, been living with cancer for about 23 years. She had uh, primary colon cancer and it spread to her liver. She had two surgeries in 1998 and she's living with cancer and she's now dealing with some of those issues again. The $26 million, 70,000 square foot facility at 10th and Ash was funded by grants from the province and the Canadian Cancer Society. And now to what's being called a game changer in women's health, the Made in Calgary blood test to detect early signs of breast cancer. As Global's Jill Croto reports, after a decade of research, the team is ready to bring it to market. 
As a female professional in a high-pressure job, she says her demanding schedule just didn't allow the time to book her annual physical with her doctor. When she finally did, something suspicious came up during her breast exam and she was sent for screening. I proceeded to wait approximately seven and a half weeks uh, between the time that um, they found something and uh, when I was able to actually get in for those further tests. There was a lot of stress and anxiety. The Calgary mom was worried and didn't want to leave anything to chance. It compelled her to search for another option beyond her mammogram. I need to stay on top of these things and uh, be an advocate for my own health. The 47-year-old got those assurances with a negative result after becoming one of the first patients to take a blood test designed to look for early signs of breast cancer. Cutting-edge technology in this Calgary lab is changing the way cancer is recognized. This is a huge milestone. There are a lot of places around the world that are working on it. There are a lot of studies in the area, lots of exciting research that's coming out. But this is the first blood test that is able to detect early-stage breast cancer in women. For now, patients need assigned requisition from their physician. It's private and comes at a cost. That was the fastest path for us to bring it to the market and begin to get it into practice. There is a long way to go if you want to look at expanding access to everyone, but we're actively engaged in that. The team has partnered with a mobile medical lab service to provide results within five days. What we observed was a lot of patients experienced significant wait times uh, getting to a community laboratory and we want to work collaboratively with Cyantra to offer the test to as many women as possible and save lives. The hope is the blood test for breast cancer is only the beginning, and soon the same approach can apply to other cancers. Jill Croteau, Global News. Still to come, take out containers that give back. People have been waiting for something like this that makes it easy to reuse. A new option that's healthier for you and the planet. But first, a B.C. doctor becomes the first to diagnose climate change as the root cause of health problems. Take a moment to reflect. B.C. remembers. Live on Global B.C. and B.C. One, Thursday, November 11th. This program is brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion to honour Canada's veterans. A B.C. doctor has become the first to give some of his patients an unusual new diagnosis for what ails them. As Ted Chernecki reports, he's listing one of the causes of their chronic conditions as climate change. This isn't the Kootenays a family doctor remembers as a boy. I grew up in this area and I don't remember problems with heat or wildfire smoke growing up at all. Uh, since I've been back uh, for the past eight years in the Kootenays, uh, more often than not during the summer, we're having a significant period of wildfire smoke, and then this past summer with the heat dome. He and many of his colleagues in Nelson and elsewhere in the province have taken to adding the words climate change when filling out medical reports. No one can say for sure, but logic dictates that some of the patients they're seeing shouldn't have symptoms so severe if it wasn't for heat and smoke and especially if it doesn't cool off at night, which it didn't this past summer. You know, you get dehydrated. That makes it harder to manage your blood sugars. Uh, then your diabetes can go out of whack, which makes it even harder and even more likely to get dehydrated. And then you show up in emergency department. This map from Health Canada shows the premature deaths per 100,000 for those exposed to certain air pollutants. Worst in the country is B.C. Southern Interior. And five of the top 15 regions in Canada are in B.C., with the Okanagan Similkameen easily topping that list. 
An expert on air pollution believes our healthcare system needs to be better prepared for not if, but when. It's pretty well understood that this is um, something we should anticipate, and it's almost like we'll be lucky if next summer we don't have something like this. He runs UBC's Air Pollution Exposure Lab, aimed at collecting the science needed to know what air pollutants, be it diesel fumes or smoke particulates, are doing to the human body. In some cases, reducing pollution levels can solve a lot of problems, but that's never going to happen with wildfires. People that can't afford air conditioners, etc., that don't have them, they really should be supported by the government because otherwise we're just letting everyone down. And, and we're not talking about minor issues. We're talking about deaths, nearly a 1,000 last summer from heat alone. So for the beleaguered taxpayer, subsidizing an air purifier or an air conditioner for those who can't afford it might be far cheaper than even a short stay in hospital. Ted Chernick, Global News. Who knows what the summer of 2022 will bring? Um, well, hopefully not what we had this year, but... Uh, exactly. Well, let's see what's coming up in the next 24 hours and <laughs> beyond that. Here's Christy with a look at our yeah. forecast. I, I was going to say, who knows what the fall of 2021 has in store for us. <laughs> right. We've had bomb cyclones. We've had everything as well. Uh, we've had a fairly dry day today, so not too bad. But here's a look at the satellite. You can see that the next system is quickly approaching. So rain across Vancouver Island. We'll see that develop here throughout the evening hours. So wet overnight, and it means snowfall for the interior. And I'll show you that in a second. Uh, you can see that widespread spreading into the central interior southern regions as well overnight. Now, for the south coast, we are going to see things ease tomorrow morning. But quickly, that next system is going to drive on shore. Now, there is hope that we may have dry remembrance ceremonies in some areas but as i mentioned it's quickly approaching that next one so it will likely be wet in a lot of regions make sure you're prepared for that uh, it's a milder flow that second wave so we'll likely not see uh, snowfall lower elevations but this is for tonight this evening overnight we're talking about wet snow up towards sea to sky kukala two to four same for allison pass even snowfall tonight for lower elevation regions Kelowna, castlegar nelson uh, revelstoke not a lot but a couple of centimeters is possible before it transitions to rain so watch for that overnight tonight and through the early morning hours tomorrow. Far north, some nice sunshine, but as I mentioned, that system pushing across these regions mainly overnight and through the morning hours. It shifts out of the region fairly quickly. Uh, for the south coast, we're going to see that next wave bring in wind and rain. So developing through the morning hours for Vancouver Island, likely late morning for Metro Vancouver, and it will be wet throughout the afternoon hours. But nice sunshine to start off our weekend, as you can see there. Tonight's central windows weather window is is what I would say it looks like a hummingbird off in the distance. This is captured by Ken in uh, the West, uh, New Westminster area. So thanks mm. so much, Ken. He also uh, claimed the, the hummingbird. <laughs> he's, he's not wrong. It definitely looks like that. Thanks. Totally agree. No. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> well, it's believed that Ruben Sinclair is Canada's oldest living veteran. And today, the 110-year-old was honoured for his service. The special ceremony was held at a school in Vancouver. Aaron MacArthur has more on Sinclair's amazing life and his incredible contributions to the Royal Canadian Air Force. Observing Remembrance Day at Vancouver Talmud Torah School took on new significance this year. Sitting as an honoured guest, Reuben Sinclair who quite possibly is Canada's oldest living veteran. And uh, I think it's my duty. Mr. Sinclair recently celebrated his 110th birthday. Born before the First World War, 
He was 31 when he enlisted in the Royal Canadian Air Force in 1942. His service to this country may have been a lifetime ago, but it is not forgotten. He worked as a wireless operator mechanic. He and his crewmates helped train pilots who were going to fly missions on blacked-out runways in Europe. Later, fitting aircraft to operate with radar. And then when they get to a certain distance, they got a beep out. Beep, beep, beep. So they knew they were 500 feet from the runway. His family still so proud of his service. Three children, six grandchildren, 16 great-grandchildren, and one, two momentarily great-great-grandchildren. Mr. Sinclair is attached to the Shalom Legion in Vancouver, supporting Remembrance Day ceremonies at VTT, an important annual tradition. These students, generations removed from World War II, but know full well the importance of the sacrifices made. I mean, to see that, I think the teachers and the staff here do a wonderful job of teaching these students precisely what Remembrance Day commemorates. The Legion presenting Mr. Sinclair with a medal for his service. Yeah. <laughs> a day no one will soon forget. Aaron McArthur, Global News. Thank you for your service, Mr. Sinclair. And just a reminder, we're going to be on the air with our local coverage of Remembrance Day uh, ceremonies down at Victory Square in Vancouver, starting at 10.30 a.m. tomorrow morning. Hope you'll join us for that. All right, let's uh, check in now with Squire and see what's coming up. Squire? Well, of course, uh, last night the Canucks' seven-game homestand came to an end. We'll talk about this homestand, and I'll do it right now with the alphabet. The Canucks had pretty good D but not very good O, and because of that, they had more L's than W's. Did that make sense? <laughs> I, I understood that. I followed it. I'm glad you did. Thank it you. Makes complete sense. Yeah. Also, tonight, uh, also tonight, a new option for takeout containers that makes single-use plastics obsolete. How it works like your local library. All right, uh, class is in session. Squire, take it away. Thank you very alphabet. much. Alphabet. Uh, last night, the Vancouver Canucks finished off their seven-game homestand with a one-goal loss, 3-2 in overtime against Anaheim, which is actually the way they lost every game on this homestand by one goal. The only difference is last night they got a loser point in that loss to the Ducks. Now, the main problem for Vancouver was the Canucks were not able to score on a lot of their chances. Aside from that 6-3 win over Dallas on Sunday, Canuck fans at Rogers Arena were more often getting out of their seats to use the bathroom or get something to eat rather than get out of their seats to cheer a goal. Here's Bo Horvat taking a pass, trying to make a move around Fowler. He's in, and he's stopped by the panel. Red-hot goalies, near misses, and bad special teams. They were all Vancouver's undoing offensively during this homestand. No, I, I think the way we've played, we probably um, probably should have a different, a little better record. Uh, obviously, if our special teams were better, we'd have a lot better record right now. I don't think we're sitting around feeling like, you know, we're close to going off the deep end or something. Like we're, we've been playing well. We have to stay on the same page, five one five, and trust that if we play like this more nights than not, we're going to get, you know, four or five, maybe six goals. Like it's those are the games that. If you stay with it, if we start trying to change the game plan and start playing the pawn hockey and back and forth, that's not us. 
The only time we saw the Canucks play back and forth hockey was in overtime, and that's going to happen. Defensively, Vancouver really didn't let down in any of their seven home games. The most goals they gave up in any one game was three. The only real issue they had defensively was the penalty kill, which essentially killed them. It's getting frustrating on the PK. Like, we know that. Like, we take a lot of pride in being out there. You know, we... We enjoy being out there. We understand it's hard work, and you know they just seem to be going in at will right now, and it's, it's got to change. It's got to turn for us. So if they can turn off the tap of power play goals against, the Canucks believe that sooner or later, their improved defensive play will start to mean more W's than L's. Just be calm and carry on. Can't sit around and feel bad for ourselves because, you know, you know, we'll turn the tide ourselves. You know, we have to keep playing the same way. And I think that when we're playing this direct game and defending first and moving our feet, like we're, we've been very hard to play against. And I think it's a matter of time before more bounces and ugly goals and pucks start going in. In the Canadian Football League, it is actually harder to miss the playoffs than to make them. Six of the nine teams get in the postseason. And despite the BC Lions playing so badly, in recent weeks, well, actually been playing a little better of late, but they're still losing, they still have a chance to make the playoffs. They'll need to beat Calgary at BC Place this Friday and then Edmonton the following Friday and get some help. But if they can do all that, they'll get in the playoffs. So it's still possible. We've got two playoff games right now, right? Like, uh, we talked about wanting to get into the playoffs, so we're in them. And, uh, you know, obviously we can still win both games and not make it to the playoffs, but the only road to the playoffs is to win these two games. So you want to play in the playoffs, you got your wish. So the regular season games and now become playoff games. That's basically it. Okay, the BC High School football semifinal and finals will be held at BC Play Stadium this year. There was a very good chance they might not have been held there because of scheduling conflicts, but they got everything worked out. So the semifinals will be on November 27th. The finals or Subway Bowl will be on December 4th, which according to the executive director of BC School Sports, Jordan Abney, is exactly, playing at BC Place is exactly what makes it special for these kids. As a high school kid, it's it's the ultimate experience. You walk in there and, you know, the 50,000 plus seats and the, the video board and it's the lights are on and it's, it's just a, a chance to make lifelong memories with, you know, your friends and teammates that stick with you forever. Well, it's so far so good in Russell Wilson's return from finger, finger surgery. No mishaps at practice this week. Looks like he is good to go right now as a starting quarterback for the Seahawks against Green Bay on Sunday. And it also appears Pete Carroll might have the band completely back together for this game because today running back Chris Carson practiced. He has missed the last four games with a neck injury. So maybe the Seahawks will have their best offensive unit they've had in a while. It'll be great to see Russ back running the show, and uh, and we'll see that you know that Tyler and DK and Gerald and, and Freddie and the guys all you know can do their thing. We're excited to see Chris come back. Certainly, you know, I mean, it, uh, if he can make it back to playing, then that'll be you know a great great asset to us. We've missed him for quite a while now. And word is the chase for receiver Odell Beckham Jr. services is a three-team race between Green Bay, Kansas City, and New Orleans. Beckham has said he wants to play for a playoff contender. All three would fit that bill. The Seahawks are interested in him, but as we said yesterday, they're three and five, so they're not really a playoff contender at the moment. Beckham is free to sign with any team after being released by the Cleveland Browns last week. And there you go. All right, Squire, thank you. Up next, an environmentally friendly twist on takeout. 
Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. Well, while many businesses have struggled during the pandemic, it has been the genesis for others. The pivot to takeout food has created a plastic nightmare. So a Vancouver area company has created a library of reusable food containers designed to cut down on waste. Catherine Urquhart reports. At Fresh Street Market in downtown Vancouver, customers now have the option to get their takeaway food in a reusable container. That looks good enough? Yeah. Fresh Street Market is piloting the stainless steel container program at their Vancouver location in an effort to reduce single-use plastic. We are proud to be the first grocery store in Canada that is actually offering our customers the option for a reusable container at our deli, bakery, and meat counters. This new environmentally friendly and healthier option is being offered by Reusables.com, founded by Anastasia Kiku and Jason Hawkins. Reusables is a container sharing platform. What we do is we make it easy for people to reuse by creating almost like a library system where you become a member and you can ask for reusables at participating locations and get unlimited reusables. You have to return them within 14 days. Membership is free for the first 30 days, then $5 a month. Returns are managed using an app. Then Reusables picks them up, sanitizes, and returns them to the food retailer. It's just uh, getting customers used to this and, and understanding the concept and how it works. Reusables are now available at more than 30 restaurants, cafes, and grocery stores. And with so many of us wanting to avoid single-use plastic, major expansion plans are already underway. This is a global opportunity and a global problem. We would like to scale the model across Canada and around the world in the near future. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Excellent idea. Pretty cool. Mm. All right, last word on weather before we go for Remembrance Day. Christy? Thank you. Yes, so a wave of rain will push in overnight. Now, there will likely be some dry patches through the morning hours tomorrow, so hopefully long enough for the ceremonies, but uh, we'll see the next wave move in pretty quickly. All right, thanks, Christy. National coverage starts at 7.30. We're on the air at 10.30 local time. Have a great night. Good night, all.